You're listening to Escaping the Rat Race. I'm your host, Amy Leo, a singer, songwriter, and mental health educator. And our show is all about questioning the status quo and pushing the boundaries into what's possible for human beings and not probable. So tune in and get ready to escape the rat race, not only the monotonous nine to five work grind, but also that incessant internal mental chatter that prevents most of us humans from experiencing more joy, peace, clarity, and freedom. On today's show, I want to use myself and my team as an example. I'm going to share an audio I recorded a few months ago, and I want you, the listener, to notice the difference of when Meg and I are speaking from our personal thinking perspective and when we are speaking more universally and neutrally. It's so important for us here at Revive Your Sanity that we aren't just creating another space for how-tos and opinions, but rather a place for you to reflect, a space to zoom out your perspective, to focus not on your personal troubles, dreams, to-dos, and aspirations, but to start reflecting on how the human experience unfolds in general, to start looking at what is the system behind the scenes of being human, and how does my mind work? It seems that there are hundreds of psychological theories and personal development techniques. Though some may be helpful, I can't deny that, they cannot all be true. That's because they fall into the personal thinking category. They often aim to look at behavior in the world and to modify it without exploring the simplest root cause of that behavior. The only thing that is ever going on for each human being at the simplest level is that energy is moving through each of our own biochemistry. This energy is constantly shifting and changing along with the biochemistry, and therefore so does our experience. Said another way, every human being on the planet is only ever living in the feeling of his or her own thinking, his or her own energy moving through their biochemistry, said another way. So there is a law of experience at work here. There's a principle of energy creating individual experience. Each individual's experience is different, but how that process happens is the same for each human being. How the process of feeling And experiencing our world happens the same way for every human being. And the coolest thing about this is that it is not personal. I can't control the energy that moves through me. Maybe you can. (laughs) But the truth is then that we don't have to identify ourselves with the personal thinking. We don't have to control it or take it seriously. It's going to shift and change anyway. And that when we as individuals zoom out and look towards the bigger perspective and start investigating the system at large, you, me, and other human beings, we start to discover things that we couldn't see or know before. So today, I am inviting you to listen to this podcast in a different way than you have before. I'm inviting you to notice, just notice, 
Notice your own inner voice and opinions that show up when we talk about certain things. Notice when it gets quiet for you and peaceful. Notice when Meg or I indulge our personal thinking. And notice when we're speaking more neutrally and with a bigger picture perspective. So let's jump into it. Let's dive into today's topic. Five problems and one solution that creative people come across. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Amy Leo from reviveyoursanity.com, and I am with my colleague Meg today, and we are going to be talking about a subject near and dear to my creative little singing heart, and we're going to be talking about the five problems that I see creative people run into and the one solution. So with that, Meg is giving me the opportunity to be the interviewed today. So Meg, take it away. Where would you like me to start? Hi, everybody. Hi, Amy. So yes, um, I love this subject. And I think that it, it goes not even just with entrepreneurs, creatives, or singer-songwriters, but just for everybody in the world in certain ways. So I would love for you to start telling me... Um, maybe how you see or how you used to see and feel about perfectionism and how you do now and maybe a story that would go along with that? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm so glad you asked that, Meg. So I definitely am a recovering perfectionist, as, as we would say. And, you know, I think there's a misunderstanding that that's actually helpful that being so difficult on ourselves is helpful and takes us where we want to go. When in fact, in my experience, it's actually paralyzed more often than not. Now, I'm not saying there's anything bad with taking pride in your work and, and creating a song that you feel really happy about. But the truth is, this is what I find. This is like a curse of, of singer songwriters for sure, is that so many spend so much time on all the steps of creating a song, songwriting, the pre-production, the recording, but then they'll get caught up in, well, that snare at, you know, minute 243 is just not quite right. And they spend hours and hours rehashing it, trying to make it perfect. I mean, I've got friends of mine, actually, I heard this from three different people when I was in LA, that they had actually taken the time, the energy and the money to create full albums. They've actually have never released them to this date. So this is what I mean. This is a tangible example of how that kind of thinking to a certain point is actually not helpful. And it, it really reminds me as well, as well about a story when I was at the ASCAP Expo a couple years ago, and I was at a panel with Aloe Black and Bill Weathers, and he's the guy that sings, uh, lean on me, you know, everyone knows that song or most people do. And there was a question and answer round, and this young gal stood up and asked Bill, you know, I just feel like I'll never be satisfied. How do you know that you've made it as an artist? Because I just feel even when I have the Grammys and the, and the label recognition and all of these things and the fame that I still won't feel satisfied. And, and what would you say to that? And uh, Bill said a pretty quirky comment at first. And, and then he got really real with her and said, you know, that's not up to you. You know, this gal was an aspiring songwriter, so she wasn't a famous gal yet, but she was building up in her mind already problems that didn't exist. And most likely all of those problems actually limited her capacity to be her most creative, authentic self, which is ironic. So there's this piece about creativity and how 
it's only our job to show up and be as authentic as we can be with our art. Maybe go back, do a couple edits, of course, re-record it if it really feels that that's the right thing to do. We all can just do the best that we can, and it really isn't up to us what happens. Like, even if you're an entrepreneur, you, you can do all the market research in the world, but the truth is until you're in action, you don't really know if people are going to be lining up for your product or not. So when you're in life, that's when you can adjust and experiment. Most simply, the idea of perfectionism comes from misinterpreting where well-being and creativity and productivity actually come from. How is this podcast going for you so far? Have you been aware of also your own internal thinking, chattering brain system that's either agreeing or disagreeing with what we're saying? Or do you find your brain is relating back what I'm saying to your own life experience? Let's keep going. Awesome. I like it. Um, I love that you kind of even mentioned about time, you know what I mean? Because there's no perfect time for anything. You know, our lives are always going to, something's always going to be happening in your life because that's what life is. It's just consistently moving and changing. And so waiting for that perfect time is, you know, kind of a crazy thought, even though we've all been there and done that, I'm sure, because we just got to test it out. Like you said, until you're actually in motion and doing something, you'll have no idea what the outcome will be. You can sit there and worry and perceive and try to see the future and have a premonition, but like, you just got to go with it and do it, you know? Um, well, it's so true, Meg. I mean, the truth is we don't know. And sometimes the quote unquote failures or the mishaps or things not going the way you want, that's how you actually learn and grow. And that provides a foundation for you to move forward in momentum. You know, it's really, really simple when we take the personalization out of it. You know, when we stop making it so personal as if there's something wrong with us or we need to do better or it's not fair. Uh, Jojo is... Uh, just uh, is even less talented than me, but he's selling records and touring, you know, and that brings me up to another really common thing with artists. I can speak for myself 150%. Maybe this is just a human thing, Meg. I think it is. <laughs> but this idea of comparison, again, you know, this idea of we have an idea of how something should go and where we should be. And then when we don't reach that, because we very rarely ever experience life like we think we're going to, at least that's been my life experience. Things do not go to plan almost never. There's always these little nuggets and challenges or successes and opportunities. But this comparison thing of, well, you know, Britney Spears was already famous by 17 making records and here I am in my late 20s and I have no chance. Uh, but the thing with that, that's a problem is that intangible things like talent, beauty, success, love even, those things are intangible. There actually isn't a scarcity of those things. There's no limit to any of those things. Just because Beyonce is beautiful and talented doesn't mean that you or I am not. Am not. But of course, you know, we get caught in this this idea of, you know, social acceptance, fear of rejection, fear of failure. And we are, by nature, social creatures. I mean, physiologically, our brains are wired to actually feel empathy in another person. Um, 
it's interesting. This is a whole nother conversation. It's interesting when those pathways break down because then you have things like genocide or et cetera. But that is not the natural state of the human mind. And people all around you have their own fears and their own perceptions of reality. I remember taking, and especially when it's a loved one, you know, I remember taking really seriously the ideas of adults in my life that, well, you have to really be lucky to make it, you know, and I heard that, well, then maybe there's no point because there's nothing I can do. And I, I, I didn't pursue my art throughout my teenage years, um, you know, for those reasons, for those internal fear-based bubbling things, again, not wanting to um, be, be a failure, not not willing to even try because then if I failed, I would come back home and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is I was making that all up. I was catastrophizing things. And the truth is my family and the people that are close to me, they will love me no matter what I'm doing. And that's the truth. And if you're someone on the call that doesn't have that, because I know a lot of people didn't grow up with that environment. The truth is that it's easier than ever now to connect with communities of people that lift you up instead of break you down. And that is a really helpful piece, you know, and, and if you're in situations where you are around a lot of negativity and a lot of pessimism, it's helpful to know that it's just someone's opinion, that someone else's fear bubble, you don't have to take it and add it to your own, you know, and also like, all of our thinking does change a lot over our lifetime. And just because someone said something harsh to you right now, number one, it doesn't say anything about your worth. It really doesn't. And number two, it really has no correlation to what will happen either. Because just like Meg Rye has humbly admitted that we can't predict the future, neither can any other human being I've ever met. Maybe Miss Cleo, but I think she's in jail now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, hmm. That's Miss <laughs> Cleo. You went with Miss Cleo. Um, I, I love it. Um, and I love what you say about the intangible and the infinite resources because it's true that most of the things that we're comparing ourselves to other people, A, we're looking at somebody and most of the time you're only seeing what they're letting you see as well. You know, you're not seeing what's happening behind closed doors. You know, on t- social media, most of the time, nobody's posting the terrible parts of their lives, the stressed out feeling. Some people are, you know, I think that some people understand that it's really good to be, to be real, you know, for people to see every side of you to know that you're human, you know, cause you know, you, as somebody that works in like the health coaching the, and the fitness industry, you see a lot of men and women online just posting like these amazing pictures of their bodies and everything like that. But you don't see behind the scenes of their struggle, you know, or what they do to get there, you know, or, um, or anything like that. So I think that this, the comparison thing also comes down to like, there's just no reason for it because, because it doesn't help you in any way. It doesn't, it doesn't move you forward in any way to where you want to go. It just keeps you stuck where you are. Um, and I think that a lot of times it, co- it, it goes hand in hand with like a sh- social acceptance and the fear of rejection because, you know, if you're comparing yourself to someone, that means that you're trying to be like them because if you're not like them, then maybe you won't be liked or maybe you won't get the right results or something like that. So like fear of rejection and social acceptance is another big thing that I think that um, creatives and uh, singer-songwriters and entrepreneurs all, are deal, all deal with. Do you agree with that, Amy? Comparison and the fear of rejection or criticism are extremely common habits of thought for creative people. 
And here's where it can be really helpful to investigate more into the impersonal, to look at your experience, not about your personal fears, your personal to-dos and your personal dreams and aspirations, but to look at yourself as part of an overall human system and to really explore how your human system works and brings experience to life. And I know I'm not denying that it can be really scary and feel real and awful in your body if you've got to sing in front of people, but realizing that there is a middleman between what is happening objectively in life and your experience of it is extremely freeing. What is the difference between singing in the shower or the car versus singing in front of people? There really isn't a difference except for you thinking that there is a difference. It's the same physiological experience going on when you sing, but because we're human beings and we often misconstrue where experience comes from because it's so seductive, our own thinking, and it feels so real to us, that we then think that it's different when we're performing in front of people. We add on to the experience of singing. We add on our own thoughts and fears and beliefs. But that doesn't objectively mean anything has changed. So how is this going for you so far? Are you still with us? Again, just keep remembering what we were talking about in the beginning. Start exploring for yourself where your experience comes from. Is the most simple way to describe that for you energy moving through your biochemistry? Do you describe it by maybe living in the feeling of your own thinking? Let's dive back into comparison with a couple more examples. You know, just because someone has a $5 million house doesn't mean that they're fulfilled in their life. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't, but they don't get out of being human and they don't get out of low states of mind. And I talk about insecurity a lot on the show because I agree with you, Megan, that this isn't something that's like hip to talk about, but this is an experience that every human being I've ever met has. You know, I've spoken with so many people now and there's always something underlying of I don't feel I'm good enough I feel like a loser I don't love myself I'm not lovable I'll never find love um, I'm you know a, a failure at anything but it's all a variation of the same thing and the truth is you know when I am in a low state of mind I actually have just noticed this this week in Spain I was in a low state of mind a little bit more, visiting that place a little bit more than I have in the past two years. And, and I found that, wow, I actually was doing comparisons way more. Normally when a beautiful woman is walking down the street, I don't even, I, I don't really think twice about it, you know, like I see her, but that's it. I go on with my life and it was really interesting. But the beauty of what I know about being human is that when I'm in that low state of mind, there's no requirement that I need to trust myself or take myself seriously. That's not required. So just the mere fact of realizing that my perception's going to shift, it will absolutely shift at some point. And knowing that the quality of my thinking and my level of consciousness at that time is dark 
and that it isn't going to be valuable really and propel me forward, just knowing that's helpful. And I don't even feel anymore the need to get in there and try to fix it. So then it's amazing that it just shifts when you just know that you're onto yourself. It's not the content of what I'm thinking that I feel threatened by. It's just the knowing that I am a thinker. I am a free thinker that changes the game for me. Eckhart Tolle, I love how he highlights this beautifully, how he really describes in the book, The Power of Now, this kind of internal chatter, this kind of thinking, often he describes it as like an egoic voice, how there's that piece of us as human beings, but then there's also the listener, right? I mean, you have moments, Meg, where you're onto your internal chatter. That listener space, to me, that resonates more with truth of who I am as a human being, with the fact that innately there is nothing wrong with me, except for that I think something is wrong with me, that I've been conditioned to think that I need to be a certain way in order to X, Y, Z. But all of that is societal and personal construct, absolutely all of it. And, you know, that kind of wants, that kind of makes me want to jump into another area that I hear a lot of people point to, and it's this idea of money. <laughs> that this common myth, conception, whatever you want to call it, that uh, most artists are starving artists and that you'll never make money at your art and all of this kind of nonsense. And that's just not true. It's just not true. Now, does that mean that I think if people think positively that if they want to be a singer and make money from it, that every single person on this earth will be able to do that? Probably not. I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about what's more foundational to that. But I just want to, again, put in perspective for, for listeners or just ask listeners to get curious about their relationship with money as really just an exchange of value. It's just energy. It's just an energy exchange. It's really, when you take the personalization out of it, it's a tool at your disposal in life. It can be a really useful tool if you want to eat, but the truth is you don't need to have money to eat. I mean, especially, I can only speak for, again, my American culture, but in America, there's lots of opportunities. I have had good friends that have been homeless. This is a huge fear of people. They're so afraid of what they haven't actually experienced. But I have had a friend that was homeless and she said it was a really freeing time in her life. She went to the food banks. She knew she was taking care of. She would go to the restaurant. So the, the, the truth is, it's not your resources. It's your resourcefulness and that creative potential that lies within all of us that when we have a still mind, we literally can solve everything that we're up against. And if you start reading the biographies of really inspirational and famous people, you will see that 100% to be true. These people, most of them weren't born with silver quote unquote spoons. And even if they were, that's not really relevant either. It really speaks to the potential of every human being in this co-creation of life. Um, the money thing is, is, again, I just keep going back to it because it's such a funny thing for me. And I have my own sticky areas. Trust me, I do. Money isn't one of them for whatever reason. It's just not. And I'm really grateful for that, Meg, because not having a lot of loaded thinking about money or thinking that it, my security comes from money or that my self-worth comes from money has allowed me to do things in my life that have absolutely transformed my life for the better. One would be the apprenticeship that I was in uh, at Divine Play. That was a $25,000 apprenticeship to which in my gut, it was such a strong yes that 
it didn't even matter that if later I had mental chatter about the money and I didn't, I don't regret that at all. I made a joke with Jean Catherine. Uh, one night I was in just an absolute despair, an absolute dark place. And I hadn't visited that kind of darkness in a really long time. And I called her up and she was able to just be there for me. And we were able to just <sighs> be one-on-one -on -one as human beings. And just again, uh, we weren't even having a, a formal talk about self-discovery, but just that remembrance of my, my true identity, that listening piece, the fact that how it looks right now isn't indicative of how it will always be. I made a joke. I said, well, I'll give you a testimonial, Gene. The 25K was all worth it just for last night. And I really mean that. I mean, this is so amazing to me that people um, will put money in a place or, or value it almost to God-like status when that isn't the thing that's going to bring you a consistent and sustainable feeling of joy and of love or that will fuel your creativity. It, it doesn't work that way. We can't put money into our brains and then get a result and feel it in our body. It doesn't work like that. And it's such an arbitrary thing. I have uh, friends from a variety of um, economic status. And I remember that I have one good friend and when his bank account went under half a million, he freaked out, Megan. He absolutely panicked. He lost his mind. He was starting to wanting to cut the salaries of people at his business that were making 30,000 and yet he still had over half a million in his personal account. You know, this is the type of action that people take when they really believe that their security is tied up in the money. And now Meg, I don't know if you're <laughs> thinking that, well, that sounds a little crazy because I've never had half a million dollars in my bank account. I'd probably be pretty damn happy if I did, right? But it just shows again how individualized it is in our relationship to money. And uh, just one more quick story about the money thing that's, that's just funny to me and just shows how, again, we all have our areas that we get stuck in. But my ATM cards were actually eaten. They were both eaten by ATM machines yesterday. So I am now in a foreign country. I'm in Spain. I have no way to access my money <laughs> at all. And, uh, and I was just in a lighthearted mood with my sweetheart last night. And I said, oh, well, hmm, I don't have any way to access money. And I had like a little giggle. And he just looked at me like he thought I was crazy. You know, but the truth is, I'm going to take action in the best way that I can to solve that problem. And that's all I can do, Meg. Losing sleep over this makes no sense. It just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Okay, I think this is a good place to pause for a second. Again, I'm going to ask you what you're experiencing right now when you're listening to this. I know money can be a really sticky, habitually difficult area for a lot of people based on their thinking, their past habits of thinking, their past experiences. But I would, again, ask you to, to zoom out. You know, when you hear me speak, did you notice throughout the past 25 minutes how my own quality of thinking keeps shifting throughout this podcast? Are there times where I sound more open and it feels more neutral and universal? And are there times when it feels a little bit more energized, a little more opinionated. I, I would suggest that I'm not the only human being on the planet that lives in this way, that every human being is experiencing 
huge shifts, you know, moment to moment, and that they bring their past histories of thinking, their past patterns of behavior into conversations without sometimes even realizing it. So again, we really just want to encourage you to to just start questioning yourself, questioning the human process, and zoom out more. Again, look more at how the human system works in general as opposed to how awful your own problems feel. That's a really huge difference. It's a simple shift, but it's a huge difference in finding more clarity, clear thinking, fostering creativity, and accessing well-being regardless of what's going on. Because life happens and circumstances do happen. And what we want to do here at Rev Your Sanity is equip our community with the best tools for approaching life's difficulties. And that does seem to be having a clear mind and being able to access their own common sense and wisdom and creativity. So we're almost done for today. This is going to be a two-part podcast. Let's just jump back into it and hear what Meg has to say. And then we'll wrap it up for today. Whew. Okay, I'll take a pause. Meg, where would you like the conversation to go from here? <laughs> well, I think you covered everything except for one thing, maybe. <laughs> um, but I would like to just say that um, I love everything you just said about how I was having a conversation last night with my brother about awareness, you know, and, and about um, about our thoughts, you know what I mean? And how like, you know, once you become aware, your thoughts have already started to change. You know, you're no longer in that moment. Even if you're still, you're not purposely trying to change your thoughts, like with an affirmation or anything like that. But once you become aware of your thought, that thought is technically not the same thought anymore. And I love that idea. You know, I mean, like the comparison thought, like once you become aware that you're comparing yourself to that person, you know, now you, now you get to ask yourself why you're doing it if you want to, or, or anything like that, you know what I mean? Or just, whatever it is you want to do, but I just love that you're not in that moment anymore, technically, once your body becomes aware. Um, That's beautiful, Meg. That's exactly it. It's like once you are aware, it does, if we use a metaphor, raise your level of consciousness a little bit. So the tenor, the feeling is a little different and there is less suffering in that, at least for me. I agree. And the same way your brain works for everything, it's a plastic, it's a moldable, it's, it's, you know, we have neural pathways and synopsis and everything like that. So like, not that you're even purposely trying to train your brain, but as you become more aware, your brain just starts to become more aware on its own. You know, it's not like you have to train your brain. It just starts doing it, which I think is also amazing. And that's going to do it for today's show. Next week, we are going to dive into the last problem and also talk more about the solution. But in the meantime, I would really be interested to hear how this exercise went for you to be listening to the podcast from a more universal, broader perspective, to be listening to the quality of thinking of both Meg and myself. When did it seem like we were speaking more neutrally and more universally and had less on it? And were there areas where it seemed like it was kind of personal for us and our opinions were kind of showing through? Now, of course, Because we're human, we can't get out of our own personal thinking system. But just, again, starting to be aware of this and others and then ourselves can be extremely helpful in cultivating more peace of mind, more well-being, which is essentially the solution that we're talking about. 
So if you want to make sure not to miss out on any of these podcasts, you can head over to iTunes or YouTube and type in the search engine, Escaping the Rat Race with Amy Leo, and click, click subscribe. Of course, we would love if you would head over to the website as well, reviveyoursanity.com. You can actually get more than the podcast if you enter your name and email. And then, like I said, I really am honest about this. I would really like to hear from you about how this went being more of an observer of human experience and thought and consciousness at work. So you can certainly email me at any time. My name is Amy Leo and my email address is amy, A-M-Y, at amyleo.com. So again, that's amy at amyleo.com. So I really do encourage you, if you want to get in the best psychological shape of your life, again, head on over to reviveyoursanity.com. We have a variety of programs coming up, specifically for singers and creative performing artists. We are launching our Complete Confidence Academy, and that's going to start in January of 2017. So you can get information about that, or again, you can shoot me an email and we can talk more about what that program entails. Last but not least, our podcast was brought to you with the help of our entire team and collective at ReviveYourSanity.com, but especially our podcast producer I want to thank, Kelly Munstrid. You can reach Kelly for any of your own audio and visual needs. He's a fantastic individual and quite knowledgeable in his fields of technology and music. His email address is Kelly Munstrid, so K-E-L-L-Y dot Munstrid, M-O-N-S-R-U-D, at gmail.com. And last but not least, times two, we have to share today's real story. So today's real story is, girl has half of her brain removed and goes on to live a normal life. I'm going to repeat that. Today's real story is that a girl has half of her brain removed and goes on to live a normal life. I thought this was really befitting for today's call when we're talking so much about the potential of the human system. So here's a little bit of a background about this girl. The girl's name was Cameron Mott. She was diagnosed with a rare condition, and it led her to have frequent and violent seizures. So this condition, they thought, would eventually lead to paralysis and then death. So the doctors did something drastic. They removed half of her brain, and astonishingly, the half of her brain that was still intact rewired itself. It took over for all the functions that would have been going on on the other brain hemisphere. And here's a direct quote. Cameron has no problems understanding language, music, math, stories. She's good in school and participates in sports. And the source of that is Dr. David Eagleman's The Brain, The Story of You. And if you want more information, I'm going to put this in the show notes. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Keep rocking.